0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to the WHOOP podcast, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP. Got a great episode this week. WHOOP VP of Performance Science and Principal Scientist Kristen Holmes is joined by author and endurance coach Paul Larson. Paul is the co-founder and CEO of Hit Science, the co-founder and head of product for Athletica, and co-host of the Training Science Podcast. Not only has he published over 150 scientific manuscripts and had his work cited more than 15,000 times, but he's also completed in 17 Ironman triathlons. He's a guy who practices what he preaches. Kristen and Paul discuss Paul's transition from competing in triathlons to becoming a premier performance coach. The different cardio zones... Give an in-depth look into each zone and what methods to train in them. So those of you looking at your activity details after a workout, you can see the different zones. The emergence of zone 2 cardio training. This is where you can burn the most fat and see significant weight loss. How to stay balanced with your training and how you can use technology to monitor your VO2 max when training. If you're looking to try Whoop, we're offering 30-day free trials of the platform. This is pretty innovative. You can literally go to Whoop.com and sign up and get a free Whoop in the mail. It's 30 days to figure out whether you want to become a Whoop member. If you have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at Whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. Without further ado, here are Kristen Holmes and Paul Larson.
1: In addition to being a world-renowned specialist in endurance training, high-intensity interval training, nutrition, hurry, variability, thermophysiology, health, and artificial intelligence, Paul is also an Ironman competitor, so he has truly lived the applied side of things. Today, we are going to leverage Paul's deep experience and expertise uh, in training himself and his athletes to help us understand the cardiometabolic benefits of Zone 2. As well as the very practical ways to train in this aerobic threshold, Paul. A big whoop welcome. Kristen, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, it's yeah, an honor to be here. Uh, we're thrilled. Uh, yeah, my team follows your work and is just a huge fan. So we're uh, so pumped to be able to have this conversation and uh, yeah, and just uh, just be able to kind of go deep on on just all things training zone really. Um, so. I'd love to start, you know, you've had this just insane uh, career as, as an athlete and an academic and, you know, what, what was kind of the inspiration behind the passion um, and just kind of, you know, teaching and researching, uh, you know, cardio zone training specifically, but you know, whatever direction you want to take that.
2: Yeah. I think that's so important, right? Like, um, and kind of, for me, it starts with the, the whole Simon Sinek start with the why. My why kind of happened to me um, when I was maybe tw- in my early 20s, struggling to become a triathlete, an Olympic triathlete, and I didn't make it. Ultimately, I beat my head against the wall, or maybe um, oh, you know, good eight years trying to become a professional, and I didn't. But that was a real good thing because that um, that anger or frustration with not being able to reach the top—you know—I reached a good level, but not the top, and then. Um, that got me into studying the sports sciences and i did that in vancouver ubc um Mm -hmm. and then i uh, got a scholarship to where you're at at the university yeah and uh yeah yeah, and i did my phd down there and uh, amazing and uh, and again just kind of kept the whole journey going down there um with understanding uh understanding trying to understand training and the whole process of training and maybe you know again so fast forward 20 years down under uh uh, you know 10 years in Australia um, 10 years in New Zealand worked with our Olympic program but all the while I'm always still you know just fascinated with training and I always did what um, my supervisor some of my supervisors told me not to do and that's not um, they told me to specialize in an area and just become an expert in one area and mm-hmm. I just I, I couldn't do it and I, oh, yeah. I came like you you know you gave the intro and stuff I mean I, I just yeah. kind of uh, whenever I was interested I just couldn't help but just dive try to dive into that area so that I guess explains um, my history and my my why, and I'm just I'm just super passionate about tr- trying to understand how to help athletes now. Not not as much myself, but just try to help help athletes uh, get the most bang for buck out of their training and reach their maximum potential. Kind of uh, what you guys profess
1: at. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I you know I think you know folks are busy, right? And and I think that what we could do as scientists is really you know, help folks understand how to apply their effort. How much time do we need to spend in zone two, for example, or zone five? And how much time do we need to spend strength training? And, you know, what what are the things that we need to actually be doing in terms of dose and, and frequency and, and all that? But, you know, what does that structure actually look like? I think is, is I, I don't know that it's confusing, but I think there are a lot of different um, ideas out there um, on on what you can do. and And I think you know, pulling that together for folks so they understand, you know, how to apply their effort, I think is um, is is really important and reducing a lot of the noise that exists out there. So so people kind of understand, you know, what is the path to, you know, if we want to maximize the interplay between our nervous system and cardiovascular system, you know, what does that actually look like from a training perspective? And maybe we can kind of just start there really broadly. Um, you know, how do you think about the relationship between the cardiovascular system and the nervous system as it relates to programming.
2: Yeah, well, I'm a big professor. I mean, where you sort of started out is, is excellent. I like it because first and foremost, um, you know, uh, there's a big uh, I guess, term or concept that we, it's context before content. So before we'd go in and put any pen to paper on anything, we have to really appreciate the context of the individual. So whoever you are listening, you've got your own certain context. Um, and but one of the fundamental tenets that uh, we can consider it, and, and again in the convert in the context of this conversation, is the whole concept around um, the, I guess, the strength of the fat burning system. And the mm-hmm. fat burning system to um, it, it enhances both the uh, endocrine, nervous system, immune system. And um, the stronger your fat burning system is, the healthier you tend to be. So that's, um, that's a great place to kind of start with you, uh, whoever you are sitting here listening. Um, you really want the opportunity to be able to to oxidize fat especially at at rest and because it's going to facilitate everything that you do your your work performance and certainly your certainly your exercise performance and your training Um, yeah that's that's a real that's a real big important um concept and place to start
1: so what does it take to get into that threshold where, where that fax ox- oxidation is happening. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, back to
2: context. If you are in, this, in the uh, situation where maybe you're highly stressed, maybe you uh, haven't paid great attention to your diet throughout your life, and, I, and I'm putting myself there as well, I started uh, with way too much, I had the wrong uh, start to my life. In terms of my nutrition, and I was I was a big believer that carbs were the most important thing, and that I could I could eat as much sugar as I wanted. And I'm an athlete; I can handle. I'm burning it off. Um, and unfortunately, I uh, believe it. Like you know, I was uh, I know you've had Dan Plews on the podcast mm-hmm. before. So Dan and I were uh, back training in New- at the New Zealand Olympic program uh, in the in the in the Mish building there, and every day we would be um, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, plowing down our coffee with two sugars and uh and a and a muffin. Uh and and I started getting a gut ultimately. And um and so I something was going wrong. Even though I was training with Dan Pluz, who is like a you know, Kona uh Kona world mm-hmm. record holder now, uh for the age group. But I you know, it was kinda, you know, we were training everything, and still I was getting uh metabolically um I wouldn't say Uh, Again, I was getting kind of overweight or over fat, I like to call it. I was depositing too much fat around my, in my uh, abdomen kind of area. Mm. And that was a really, and then I have high blood pressure as well. So my fat oxidation was, I was losing it. I was in my uh, late 30s going on 40s. So it kind of caught up to me. I couldn't outrun Mm. a bad diet. So, um, yeah, and and there's a bunch of things, as you know, go to well to change the game. And it's not just the zone two training, which we're going to get into today, but it's all the other things. It's sleeping well and and it's lowering stress and whatnot in your life. It's Mm -hmm. circadian rhythm um, and all these all these sorts of things. And these go back towards making you a healthy athlete. And then your fat burning ramps up and then you start to yeah, you start to be able to absorb your training and recover well between sessions. And yeah, I'm I'm kind of ramping on. I think I've even forgotten. No, it's great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, you were just kind of talking about the role of of just how to think about fat in the context of, you know, and maybe we can talk about just the different training zones. So maybe just for our listeners who might not be familiar with the different training zones and and what is actually happening in each zone, maybe just a quick overview of of, of the training zones and, and we could talk about it and, and feel free to insert your point of view, and you know, in terms of polarized training versus you know, there's lots of different ways to think about these zones in the context of how we train and what we're trying to get out of it. So feel free to just you know, kind of give a definition and then kind of uh, insert your point of view around what what is most efficacious.
2: Sure. So it's always difficult when, and again, this is from listening to I love listening to podcasts, but when I listen to podcasts, sometimes it's hard to kind of picture these sorts of zones. But many of us are familiar with. Either a three-zone model or a five-zone model. I think most of us are probably more familiar with the five-zone model, and that's what we have on WHOOP. So okay. yeah, if we talk, keep in the yeah talking on the context go, of five, let's let's yeah. talk through the, fi- the five the five-zone model, and let's just go one through five to start. Right, let's just Perfect. let's just yep. talk through. So your zone one, this is your you know your warm up or your recovery kind of mm-hmm. kind of pace, or your cool down kind of pace. Mm-hmm. It's where life
1: happens, right? It's for the most part.
2: Yeah, you can yeah. you could go for a nice just a nice walk or a stroll, uh, and a lot of us will be kind of hanging out in zone one, right? Um, yeah, and it, it is it is kind of where life life hangs out, and it's yeah, they you know fifty five uh, to seventy two percent of your heart rate max is is kind of where uh, the textbook would say that this mm-hmm. this uh, this zone sits around. Uh, yeah, it should feel really easy, and then now we're moving into the now popular zone 2 uh, the, this is this is steady work so if you're um and this is a it really is uh you know um the, it is the trend at the moment but it truly is kind of where it is it is good to, good place to kind of hang out and spend spend some time um, is and that's in in your zone 2 um and it's this is where probably your um your fat max occurs as well so you probably have a lot of fat oxidation kind of happening to uh to fuel that exercise. And yeah, I mean you can you can go one to three hours. You can go I mean, I've got guys I'm working with right now talking about seven hour rides in their in their kind of their zone too, right? But it's context, right? So um this is really where you get a great stimulation of the fat oxidation.
1: And that's why you think it's probably becomes so popular is that we are seeing all these physiological benefits from extended time in this particular zone. You got it. Is it yeah, that is that is
2: probably it. So if you want to know, you want to know why this is this is kind of trending right now is because people have realized that this goes towards building your um, your fat max. Your fat max uh, goes towards building your immune endocrine systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it facilitates recovery. You're gonna sleep better if you get a lot of time in your zone two, and mm-hmm. and all the all these sorts of things. And it's it's just a
1: fundamental sort of principle. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I said it, we, as you know, we have access to you know, a lot of data and, uh, and as a result, we do a lot of research with, with those data, but yeah, really just cause NO1, well, and, and definitely a lot of my friends who are, you know, doing a lot of this kind of uh, very intentional zone training uh, see that, you know, when they do engage in a zone two effort, uh, their next day recovery is almost always, we always see kind of a rise in, in parasympathetic. There seems to be a very clear parasympathetic effect after zone two, of course, when you're still getting, you know, you got to get your sleep and you can't, you know, you're not, you can't drink alcohol and you got to be eating properly. But when all of those kind of confounders are pushed away, you know, we see that uh, zone two really seems to have some sort of positive impact on the nervous system.
2: Yes. Yes. The research is is quite clear on that. Um, yeah. and, and it's great that the world is, is recognizing that. Mm-hmm. And of course the, now the other thing that yeah really goes into doing that too, is the, is the nutrition standpoint too, right? Mm-hmm. So back to my example about, with Dan and I having all the, the sugars in our coffee and, and drinking Coca-Cola and all that stuff. That's a big one that also, I was probably even a bigger one. That that's a best, the best place to start. Pull the sugar out of your diet. increase it in, And your zone two work will actually even feel easier as well too. You'll be able to go longer without needing. Uh, right. Those sort of, those the sugar cravings will subside.
1: So. Right, right. So kind of keeping you know blood sugar as stable as, as you can, as often as you can, you're going to get more out of the, that zone two work you will uh, you, you, yeah because bad oxidation will will ramp up and it just it'll support
2: everything everything you do you'll be more stable in your energy more stable in your mood uh more stable with your emotions um yeah perfect all right the the middle child yeah the middle child And the middle child gets us in in trouble often because it's very difficult to detect when you go into the middle child zone 3 um sometimes they call it no man's land mm. um but it's also in um there is effective work that can be done in this as an athlete. Of the, again, co- back to context, right, where we started. So uh, this is your tempo, your sweet spot training. If the work is intentional in there, like you might, if you, those of us that are doing 70.3 races, Iron meta races, you're you're going to spend your day, I, if you have a good day, you're going to spend that in your zone three, right? That's what, that is where you're going to hang out. So if you are training to race in those, in that sport you do need to spend uh some time in that in that zone but it's it's uh specific time what the problem is is that for many of us and when you start out is it's really without monitoring it's really hard to feel when you move from zone two to zone three into that right. lens right this is where the process of, of wearing a heart rate monitor and yeah knowing where that Rate sits is very, very powerful because you can put a clamp
1: on on when right. you when you cross over that one. Um, and sweat so be your lactic level is needs to be below two millimole? about two exactly. It's
2: a, it's kind of about that spot. That spot. It's individual, but it's like uh, yeah, it is the lactate threshold or the first ventilatory threshold. Right. Um, in is yeah. So all of a sudden, you get a little bit more. Um, Blood lactate being released relative to uh, uh, lactate. Lac- no, sorry, I should say lactate and hydrogen. Ions. They get released relative to what is being, I guess, um, uh, removed. And then all of a sudden, your breath picks up a little bit more. So we de- we can detect this either by a blood lactate marker, or we can detect this if in the lab, if you're wearing a. Um, a ventilation kind of uh, monitor, you know, the VO2 max type car. Yeah. And it's very exciting, but we're actually moving to the place now where um, different technology companies are actually being able to take a marker um, of, of uh, respiration. Uh, so there's shirts that are being developed that are actually being able to mark this point as well. So there's a few, but but generally speaking, we, can, we should be able to get this, uh, you know, sort of through our heart rate mar- uh, marker.
1: And do you get do you get buzzed when uh you're getting outside of that zone two or, or if you're going below your zone three, depending on what your intention is. Yeah, there there, there are technologies, yeah, that, that that do that, right? So the Frontier Belief
2: Monitor does that, for example. There's the um the the what is it called? Oh, the Timewear life uh Timewear shirt is is working on this in um innovation. There's lots of cool uh, really cool companies, yeah. People that are that are into
1: this whole thing. So for the layperson, so we're going to kind of keep going through the zones, but as I just thought of this and I think it's kind of, it's important, um, you know, for, you know, for someone who does not have, you know, these types of technologies to monitor, you know, when they're kind of going in and out of these zones. And, and we know that being in zone two, for example, and continuously is important, right? We don't want to go from zone two to zone four, like if in fact we're trying to maximize uh, the effect of of being in zone two, we want to try to make it as continuous as possible. Maybe I'll stop there. Is that correct? Just to yeah, do we, yeah, we we want to the we don't want to bounce in and out of zone two. If we're trying to to try to train in zone two uh, and kind of maintain uh, that threshold uh, and get maximum benefits, we we want to try to kind of be continuously in that zone for how many What? what's the time frame that yeah, so is where the magic happens
2: one to three one to three hours is the effective time dose uh okay. you know, textbook kind of say but there's um with training as you know there's so many different ways to skin the cap, right sure so it's not it's not impossible to do uh you know infinite varieties of of training within all of these sorts of things but a good organization is to do um uh, you know do uh specific work that's that's in this cell but sometimes like you know you got to go up a hill and whatnot are you right and you're, right. your intensity is going to rise for a bit, so. so you're not going to crush your zone two session when no. you kind of okay definitely not no. no. definitely not we can't get, get too robotic about the whole thing So totally. you got to go to the flow a little bit. But right. it's get. like you know when you go back and you analyze everything uh it's it is nice when when Things are sort of sitting up, and that's what a lot of the research has done. Right, where right. we wear these these monitoring devices, and then we retrospectively look back, and we can see what has kind of been done, what's effective um, to reach to good outcomes. And this is this is where we get to the whole polarized uh, trading method uh-huh. that was, I think, was really um, keyed by Steven Siler, uh, a colleague, and um, and and yeah, it's really when you have about the bulk of your training, eighty percent of your training. In zone two or below, it probably can counts for zone one as well, but 80% of your training uh, for well training to, to elite uh, athletes um, tends to be effective when they have at least 80%, sometimes 90% of, of their training in that, uh, you know, sort of that zone two uh, or below. But of course, with the context and the caveat that we just said where, you know,
1: there's small rises and stuff. And, and would you say, so for someone who, again, isn't, you know, kind of hooked up to anything, talk test, is, is that a good, perfect just and be able to breathe mainly through your nose is maybe another good way to kind of train that zone? Brilliant. No, you, okay. you hit it. Those are the two practical ones. So if
2: you can uh, talk to your mate when you're off on a run um, or whatever, then you're probably, and, and it's, it's comfortable, uh, it, you're probably hanging out in your in your zone too. And if you're having trouble doing that, you're probably drifting into zone three. And then, likewise, if you've been nose breathe, uh, if you've got, uh, I mean, there's some of us are uh, inhibited in terms of structures in our nasal, you know, bones and our our nose that is just going to inhibit our ability to nose breathe. But for the majority of us, we can do this, and it's a great another great one. So heart rate uh, in a known one where it's kind of sitting below about 70% or sorry, it's like 70 to 80%. Um, and then nose breathing and, um, and, and talk, talk test. Those are, those are the key, the key, the key markers and tools you can use. Perfect. And features of zone four. Zone four. Okay. So now we're talking about, we're talking threshold. All right. We're talking, uh, a lot of people will know like FTP in, in the cycling context, your functional threshold power. Um, we're talking about like a time trial pace. We're talking about, um, uh, you know, something like a 10 K work, your 10 K race pace. These are the types of, uh, um, the types of areas where we're talking. This is actually the point also, um, about, you know, zone four and above where your, um, where high intensity interval training actually starts to take place, you're starting to recruit more of your fast twitch muscle fibers. Uh, conversely, we had all, we had the bulk of our muscle fibers being sort of the slow twitch muscle fibers below that. But now we're we're really digging into our larger motor units mm-hmm. um, above this sort of this zone four. Um, so so your this is your your lactate threshold four millimoles. Uh, you used two before, so now we're we're at four mil, uh, millimoles. Um, you're at this kind of this balance point and uh, yeah, um, between lactate production and lactate removal. And uh, and it's not, and, and above zone four, it's not sustainable. We go through this thing called the VO2 slow component where eventually if you hang out here, you just, heart rate is now going to keep rising all the way to the top. Um, if, if we hang out there above that too much below that we can kind of maintain for, you know, about, you know, um, 30 to 60 minutes um your critical power or your critical speed um but that's 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 our, our zone for uh benchmark there
1: and and zone five and zone five is it's hard to get into zone five yeah. and zone five is is another
2: very effective intensity and, and that's your vo2 max uh pace and and think these one this is you know 94 to 100 percent of your uh you know heart rate max this is right at the top and it's uh if anyone that's done so-called uh, vo2 max intervals um uh, you know your breathing so- rate could be
1: yeah they they hard fall a corner i know I, I try to do one every 10 to two weeks just perfect to, perfect yeah.
2: and that's great and it's great to get um uh, if you can it's great to get a a good dose of this in your training right amount of the right amount right um not all of it uh we got to be careful with that no pain no gain philosophy and the uh, you know, too much CrossFit is is gonna is is gonna be hurting someone. But a you know small amount, uh, every so often, you know that ten percent, a ten or twenty percent of your training, uh, is very healthy. Um, that's really great to uh, you know it's a
1: solid stim. So, so let okay. So let's say you have uh, so as a, as a coach and an expert uh, in kind of all things training. You have a, a client come in, and they want to maximize health and longevity. Uh, and they're uh, relatively new; have some, done some lifting and have some, done some cardio, have some done some high intensity. And you need to kind of put together this optimal weekly program for this individual. Uh, what would, um, how would you recommend they toggle between these different zones, and you know, and, and kind of talk? You know, kind of dosage and frequency and um yeah, what what would that like beautiful program to maximize longevity and this interplay between the nervous system and the cardiovascular system look like? Yeah. Well, first thing
2: I would do is I would just I would really try to get um uh get some more insight into this individual, really appreciate their context. Um are they, you know, we've just been through this whole thing. Like, do they appear that they have uh any issues with um you know fat burning or do we do we see some over fat sort of tendencies in their appearance say for example uh and that's basically the the deposition of, of you know too much fat in the uh in the abdomen, abdomen sort of region right that's where the um that's where the body will start to begin to store a lot of fat if um stress or um or sugar levels or you know are ultimately kind of out of control so circadian misalignment okay.
1: <laughs> that's the place right. to start. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> so means like, and this happens to all of us, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure it's happened to you, Kristen. And I know it's happened to me because we're, we're type A kind of individuals, right? right? So we, we go out of balance and then we come back in, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to kind of come back in. And that's probably what the personal trainer is trying to help them. So um, yeah, I mean, all these kinds of tools that we're, we're, we're speaking about are, are, are important to do first. Maybe to the context of the uh, of the podcast is is zone two. It really does have a, a good place here, and it could it can be a very important lever for that trainer to kind of now pull is to um, say, hey, you know, let's let's see if we can do some zone two work in that uh, you know that weekly microcycle um, because we know it's probably going to increase your ability to oxidize fat throughout your life, and it's gonna it's gonna have a um, cascading kind of effect on, on everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the first one. And then you can add in all those other various different things that we, that we spoke about the, you know, um, strength training in accordance with what the goals of the individual, um, and then some of the other zones potentially as well. So, you know, a high intensity interval training workout potentially that targets your zone fours or zone five, or even potentially above that. And the, you know, there is a zone six as well that, really hits the large fast twitch muscle fibers like
1: 10 seconds of work yeah where you're just going as hard as you can yeah flat out perfect perfect yeah so
2: um all those various different things uh yeah in the even the context of the individual what they want to want to achieve
1: yeah so so before we kind of continue to go down the zone two rabbit hole uh just you know i suppose what's your what's your point of view you know I, i think if the zone two is becoming way more popular. Right? People are talking about it a ton. And as a result, as an industry, I feel like we kind of over index. And now it's all about zone two. And we kind of are forgetting some of this other work that's really important for brain function and overall health, you know, like the getting into these higher zones, we know there's a relationship between, you know, cognitive functioning and, um, you know, and, and the release of, of really important chemicals when you're in these really kind of high intensity zones. Um, what would be just your kind of, uh, your PSA, you know, to, to folks in terms of stay balanced in terms of training and, and then maybe just um, what does the, if we're to think about, you know, for a beginner intermediate advanced, how much time are we spending in these different zones and, you know, kind of throw in the time with weights as well. So again, just kind of looking at it from a weekly block perspective. It's, you know,
2: well, it's such a tough question for me to kind of go and answer because and i'm sorry to keep going back to so this. it really depends on the context of that and yeah if i've got five hours or
1: maybe you know two hours of training yeah. maybe yeah. think about it as a beginner what's the minimum viable for a beginner you know as intermediate minimum viable and you know advanced minimum viable
2: yeah again i'd say whatever you can do like it's yeah it's just um you, you have to walk before you can run you know what i mean uh, and you have to you have to do some push ups before you should be doing uh bench press and all right. these sorts of things right so, but it 's like whatever level that you 're at um start adding on a little bit more if you 're a listener right now, so what are you at are you what are you and what have you where have you been before? I would ask you to reflect on that um, Is there room for you to um to do more um or be a better self? be your better self relative to where maybe you've been before What are where you, where you can dream and you want to be. Um, Because I never want to go and do too much too soon. I never want yeah. to go and, uh, you know, um, yeah, like over, you, you don't want to um do too much too soon. Right. Yeah, that's that's going to mess you bad.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And maybe we can think about it. It's just principally like, you know, there's no really, there's no, you can't do too much zone two. I don't think. from what I've seen in the literature, like you can't really overdo it and unless you're, you know, just starting out and, you know, don't have a a fitness base. and And I think you need to th- probably think about it in the context of back to kind of the original kind of thread um in terms of you want to be able to do other exercises as well and other types of training in addition to Zone two. So the extent to which if you're doing so much zone two that you're excluding, other types of training, then that's a good indicator that, hey, I need to back off a little bit of my zone two. But for beginners, aiming for maybe roughly two hours a week in that zone two, you know, intermediate three to four, you know, and advanced is kind of different because those folks probably have performance goals and coaches. and. Um, but some some sort of framework like that could be good potentially. Yeah. I Actually, I want
2: to reflect on a paper that Steven Seiler did. And this really started with such a fundamental one, actually. And, and it really relates um, highly to the WHOOP product as well. Mm. So it was titled Autonomic Recovery After Exercise and Trained Athletes, Intensity and Duration Effects. And it was, it was a 2007 um, paper. And it really, I mean, if you go back to the Dan Plews podcast that you did, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, this really kind of um, leveraged a lot of the work that Dan and I did in the whole HRV kind of area. And the reason why this paper is so important is because what Stephen and his colleagues did was they they exercised, they took basically groups of um, elite runners, uh, you know, really high VO2 maxes, 72 mils per kg. And they also took like um, sort of a uh, still weekend warriors, well-trained, 60 60, uh, mils per kg kind of on the VO2 max. And he got them to do basically um, four different exercises. He got them to do an hour at zone two or below. Um, he got them to, to do two hours of zone two or below. He got them to do the mid zone training that we spoke about, the no man's land training. And he got them to do hit training as well. So four different sort of sessions. What did he find? Well, he found that in the um, low intensity, and like either the one hour or two hours below zone two, it didn't matter. So the HRV... Um, It was kind of it wasn't sort of affected when they were when they were well trained. So to your point, you can't get it. You said you can't get enough. uh, You really can't overdo the zone two. Well, you're kind of right. At least you know there'll be there'll be some sort of level. It weren't quite like the more well trained they were. So the the group of well trained individuals they had the better HIV kind of response compared to the um, compared to the lesser the weekend warrior kind of 60 mils per kg um folks. But um but yeah, they could the the elite guys could get away with as much zone two training as they want. And again, this goes back to to you know me and Dan. We might pres- be prescribing for our elite athletes, we might pres- be prescribing six or even up to eight hours of zone two on it on a given session. Um so yeah like that's but no yeah I, I'm kind of dodging the question and, and I should no so I should I should finish finish this paper. When they went in the mid-zone, um, it was, HRV was uh, basically bad. It, it didn't matter if, it was, if they were elite um, or, or well-trained. It was still sort of um, kind of bad. And it was no different than, can, than when they did hit. So again, this kind of goes back to the whole importance of the zone two cutoff or the threshold, uh, wherever sort of that, that may lie, your first ventilatory threshold, um, your lactate threshold, that is the cutoff. So you can kind of get away with doing as much as you want down there, uh, within you know within within limits, I guess. But but it's a great place to kind of hang out. So you could do back to your initial question. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on where you are, if you're just starting out, you could get away with one to two hours in there.
1: Yeah, at, at Whoop, you know, we're we're coaching actively on our, our platform, and you know, when I think about. Recovery specifically, and you know what are the behaviors that really move the needle with recovery. I mean, I I throw Zone Two in there, you know, in the same way that I you know someone wants to make sure they hydrate and and do mobility and um, keep their glucose glucose levels stable. You know, I I think there's all these kind of recovery you know express gratitude and you know do breathing, um, cold therapy, sauna. You know, these are all kind of recovery modalities that you know really do um, kind of you know, uh, put very minimal stress on the body. In fact, I think enhance our ability to repeat effort and recover. And so I kind of throw zone two in the bucket with those other modalities. Would you say that that's, um, is that fair or? It is. Yeah. It is because in all of those, uh, all of those
2: things that you, that you put forth, you're reducing the stress in the body. You're lowering let's call it, I mean, just the fight or flight sort of response. And we know with that, we get a large surge in cortisol. What's cortisol? The glucocorticoid. What's the word gluco mean? Glucose, lots of sugar, right? So it's the same. And so the less glucocorticoids, the less cortisol that you have, the less glucose that's going to be in your system. And it's the same thing with the zone too. It's like more fat oxidation. You're, you're kind of stimulating. So with whether it's, yeah, yoga, cold water immersion, sleep, uh, better circadian rhythms. Zone two, you put it in that bucket. Absolutely, Kristen. Yeah, cool.
1: Yeah. So I you know, I, I want to talk about women for a second because uh, you know, I think the depending where you are in your kind of reproductive the spectrum of reproductive um journey, uh, you know, you you're you have, you know, kind of different responses to, 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 to training and um and again if if I, I kind of put zone two even I don't even put it in the training bucket. Again, I put it in the recovery bucket, but you know, I, I kind of worry, again, as an industry where now we're, I think for women who are in perimenopause, menopause, again, kind of that over-index to just, it's all about strength and high intensity. And now we're actually, I think in, in that ecosystem, they're like, you know, no cardio, you know, no long, slow runs, like get that out. <laughs> what would be, uh, you might not have an answer to this, but um I, you know, in my instinct is that zone two is still going to be very, very helpful for a woman who is in perimenopause and and in menopause, and that should still be built into the program, given that everything that we understand in terms of the parasympathetic effect and um, you know just the the benefits of just spending extended time in this zone. What would be your take on that?
2: Well, I'd say it's more important even than the high intensity stuff that you get the zone two training in, because. You're ramp again back to you're ramping up the fat metabolism um, this is going to kick back to your HPA axis hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis this is going to kick back into the hypothalamic denatal adrenal axis right so the, that that one's all linked as well too and um, a lot of uh, a lot of what we're seeing is we're seeing a return of that menstrual cycle with more uh, zone 2 training we're seeing a return of health, with that zone two training, so it's the suggestion that more better fat metabolism is kicking back to all those systems. It should be no surprise, right? Everything's kind of related, right? The healthier you can feel and be, that's going to be reflected in the um, in the whole gonadal aspects, mm. right? Your um, yeah, your your uh, the sex hormones, etc. So, and probably the same for guys too, right? So yeah, the guys can run into these problems too.
1: Yeah. And I I think, you know, you nailed it. I think in terms of HPA axis activation like that, you know, when that is, you know, that has an indirect effect on melatonin, on um, our reproductive hormones, on uterine receptivity for women. So, you know, when you think about HPA axis activation and reproductive health for men and women, it is so central, right? And just understanding this link between zone 2 training and its impact on HPA axis activation is, you, know, you start to put together the puzzle, right? And and I know that that's what we do is is our research is is all about putting this puzzle together. But yeah, I guess I just get um, I get a little worried in that I think people are, get so dogmatic about one way and and kind of forget that hey, there's there there's it is re- it is truly about balance. I, I think you know and and just in understanding you know that what we're actually trying to achieve kind of mechanistically <laughs> um, and 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 what these different types of the, the cadence and and the different types of, of workouts and and the and the frequency and the time and and all of that really ladders up to um, improving our tolerance for stress, you know, and, and really putting us in a position to um, you know, be be much, much healthier individuals. And I and I think our reproductive health is this incredible signal in terms of, you know, are we are we training correctly, are recovering correctly? Um, and a, and I think if those signals are are off, then I think going back to our training and our nutrition and our sleep and circadian, you know, all of these things are are kind of foundational. But mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah, I would think I would almost think that females even have a better barometer sort of than males. Ah, uh, total. Well, uh, the menstrual cycle. Cycle, yeah. If your yeah. cycle's going off, then that's probably a really key indicator that maybe um, those stressors are are getting out of hand. Remember that stress can come in so many different forms, right? It can come from that exercise that we're doing. Um, like too much high-intensity training, you'll, you'll you'll feel it there. Um, uh, nutrition is a stress. So if we start, um, if our nutrition is way out of whack, you're going to start to feel that as a stress on your body. Circadian rhythm, sleep, um, all you know, uh, emotional stuff, problems at the home, whatever. Um, it's all going to kind of link, link back. It all links back to stress. And yeah, you'll definitely see that um
1: yeah is yeah. there is there any uh d- just you know any any literature that you can kind of think of that that ties you know this zone to work you know to to reproductive health you know may- maybe it is via h p a access um mm-hmm. yeah I just wonder well again i think i think this is gonna come out in the the
2: study that we're doing right now uh, i'm sure there is a lot of literature there's probably some good literature out there that, that's showing this um my bias and my awareness I'm, I'm reflecting on a paper that i did with uh with phil Maftome and uh oh wow with uh yeah and it in a week we titled it um athletes um fit but unhealthy and it it was basically it went back it was all cycling around the hpa axis mm-hmm. stuff that we're talking about right now and um and i meant I met Phil because actually um, I did a paper with Stephen and it was on basically showing that um, fat oxidation at high intensity exercise was actually really important. And we hadn't thought that before. We thought it was, oh, it was all only about carb oxidation at, at high intensity exercise. Well, what we showed with Stephen was that basically when you're um, that, that same sort of group that I talked about before, the the guys that were killing it on their intervals were big fat burners. Um, so they could, they were, and they were doing the extra hit, hit work with fat metabolism. That was what it kind of explained it. So Phil, who's been about fat metabolism, this whole thing that all of his life, he emails me up and he says, congrats on the paper. Now I'm a triathlete, so I'm a huge fan of his because he's coached Mark Allen, the mm. uh, six-time I mean, yeah. champion of Kona and stuff. I can't believe it. And then anyways, we, we go on to write oh, at least, at least 10 papers or more in all the various different areas after that. But this was one of the key ones and a lot of people talk about this one athletes fit but unhealthy mm-hmm. so that's kind of a you know you don't think that right we think of our our athletes we think they you know uh bronze uh you know amazing the, yeah. the epitome of health
1: you look good on the outside but the insides all this stuff
2: <laughs> actually be unhealthy it in means and yeah many aren't uh and this is um you know this is what we're, we're there's i forgot sorry i forgot the name of the author it just came out um but basically showing that sometimes even uh, athletes uh, um, presenting um, with uh, in studies they are coming in and they're wearing these uh, continuous glucose monitors, right? Like Super Sapiens, mm-hmm. Ford, XCOM, whatnot. Okay. They are actually in going into the um, unhealthy kind of phase where they're almost pre-diabetic. Oh, yeah. Blood glucose levels uh, appearing in a study with big VO2 maxes. Yeah. But they, they, they did exactly what I did. And they they would mean line Coca Cola or whenever it be and just not thinking that they it's not going to harm them uh, and then their fat metabolism gets out of whack and it's a stressor and all these things we we're talking about it messes up the HPA axis it messes up messes up the gonadal axis and there, and you and we go into these various problems of even though we are doing the exercise we haven't paid attention to all these other things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think for for anyone who might be listening and thinking, oh, no, is that me? (laughs) You know, you can actually, you know, even if you're trending towards pre-diabetic, you can reverse that in like a month, you know, just by reducing your sugar intake or just eliminating sugar, being, you know, just really mindful of, of, you know, no packaged anything, you know, just eat from the earth, lots of protein, you know, uh, at least 30 grams per meal and then get out and, you know, do some zone one, zone two work. And literally in a month, you can reverse your, your, your metabolic issues. Um, So, you know, it's not, you know, it's, I know it can feel like that's a lot, but, um, but what's really, what would really suck though is getting diabetes. (laughs) So it's, it's, I think um, for folks listening who are like, oh yeah, I look good on the outside, but internally, am I really where I need to be? Um, You know, these are, you know, Period is a great, you know, signal. Um, you know, I think getting a continuous glucose monitor for a month just to see what your fasting glucose levels actually are. You know, if they're in that, you know, what is it like, 110, 115 fasting glucose, you're pre-diabetic, right? Um, you know, and you want that's it. what he found. found. three of three of the percent, yeah. three of, were were pre-diabetic. But also
2: to your point, this is the cool thing. Well, they the so they in the study they did a high carb and they did a low carb diet. Mm-hmm. So And in the low-carb diet, they reversed it within the 30 days. So they were no longer pre-diabetic. So wow. just to what you said, you can you can change this in 30 days? Yeah. Well, 100%. So those three individuals, they, they completely reversed it within only 30 days. So you, you can reverse it very, very quickly if you can get to break the habit.
1: Yeah. Another tip, too, is just literally focusing on the timing. You know, early eaters versus late eaters. Um, you know, early eaters do... Way way better in terms of metabolic health than than late eaters. So really try to bias your calories, you know, earlier in the day, and uh, you know try to stop eating once the sun goes down. You know, you want a ten hour to twelve hour window at the very most. Uh, that will also really help, um, you know, de- uh, increase your blood sugar tolerance, um, you know, reduce cortisol, and just get you aligned, you know, from a circadian perspective. But there's some really really good research on on early and late eaters and kind of how that impacts um, metabolism um, and, and and kind of weight and just, again, that concept of eternal internal fitness. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, I think, a really powerful lever as well. You mentioned just the different mediums um, of, of just bike, running, rower, swimming. Um, in terms of ZO2, is there one that is better than the other uh, or are they all created equal? What would be what would be your take on that?
2: I think they're all, um, I think they're all pretty fairly equal in terms of you know if you isolate any sort of given sport, but you know, um, uh, you know I was speaking about this with with Baz van Huren as well. He's a he's an uh, elite runner in uh, uh, in the Netherlands, and so I've got I've got a podcast as well, and and it's we, he was chatting to him on it, and he also leverages for him like so he's he's one of the top runners in the world and he actually leverages cycling as a training and You wouldn't necessarily think of that right but he actually gets more of his zone two training in from cycling so he does zone two sessions around he's doing you know 100 kilometer uh yeah yeah 100 and what, 160 kilometer weeks Jeez. you know 100 mile weeks right so um yeah so he's doing uh and he's in order to uh, facilitate that whole fat oxidation stuff that we've spoken about in the podcast, um, he is leveraging that through um, his cycle training. And the reason why he's moving that out, is you can imagine, the neuromuscular stress and strain on the tendons, the ligaments, and, and muscle features now is reduced using the concentric cycling as opposed to just plugging out more miles. So... Um, I would say again, back to the context it yeah. context matters, but you can you can leverage uh zone two training in, in a variety of different um different ways. I also think about a um a athlete i used to train she was having um she was having issues in her lower limbs um you know i i i i, I, I received the athlete and she was kind of overtrained and overcome <laughs> and one of the so she, she went and still kept doing her um, her swim training uh, as a triathlete, and and then she only just did cycle training. Well, she that that formula of kind of balancing the whole thing. Um, she could she she was so powerful, uh, and she she won numerous championships. Uh, um, by but she was kind of leveraging zone two training in the swimming to facilitate the whole system and um and and allowed her to become one of the. World's best cyclists. Wow!
1: So it's a cool story.
2: It is, yeah. Like um, the whole triathlon kind of concept is has been really uh, useful for me in terms of understanding the fact that you can move
1: these things around um, through zone two training. What would you? So with your athletes, or in just just anyone, anyway, it doesn't need to be professional athletes. Just layperson, just trying to live long. Um, there's obviously an association between longevity and VO2 max. You know, in theory, we want to try to have the best. VO2 Max possible. Um, well, can you train for uh, improvements in VO2 Max and how does Zone 2 play a role in that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think, and again, this
2: goes, I, I touched on this one with that study that um, Phil Maftone reached out to me on. That, that's the one I did with Steven Seiler, um, Ken Hevlad. We'll link to all of these as well in the show notes. Sure. So I, and it basically, Basically, it showed that the higher your fat oxidation levels were um, the more that actually facilitated high-intensity interval training. So these guys are doing VO2 max intervals, and fat oxidation was making up the balance of the energy that was being put into those efforts when we compared that to a, a recreationally trained group. So we had two groups, elite guys, weekend warriors, Lead guys were doing more work. They had the exact same response in terms of their rating perceived exertion, uh, the amount of carbohydrates uh, oxidized. What was different? The gap was the fat. So back to zone two, the zone two training links back and allows you to do better high-intensity interval training. Mm -hmm. Because we're more effective at oxidizing. Fat. yeah you're more, oh, yeah. more you're getting more ntp mm-hmm. through through the fat um uh, the fat stores and you're recovering better between the two as well mm-hmm. so this is why the everyone's figured it out now right because yeah. i've heard you, you know is that zone two tra- training is trending mm-hmm. it's trending because people are getting results with it and mm-hmm. they are they're recognizing the importance of that fat oxidation on
1: it yeah you know, Paul, with with the athletes that you train, I, I'd love to hear how you talk about sleep with those athletes.
2: Yeah, I, I, it's one of the key fundamentals or tenets of the whole performance process, and it's one of those things that it just needs to be prioritized, right? And off air, I remember we were talking about the circadian rhythm and going to at the, at the right time and all these things, so you know, it's, it's just, it's just critical. And, you know, this is probably a good place to just review for all of us, the, some of the things that we want to be making sure that we're doing for good sleep hygiene and, um and getting, you know, getting a good sleep. So even break some serious basics or just like a well ventilated room, like, you know, having a window crack, if you can, um, having clean sheets is just so, it's so simple, but it's, but it, you know, some of us are uh, we're busy people, so we don't go clean our sheets. So you know, think about how you feel when you, you 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 go into bed and you've got a, a clean clean yeah. bedding, clean bedding, well ventilated room. The obvious one, uh, the obvious elephant in the room for all of us is the technology. We have got to turn the technology off at least an hour before we kind of winding down. I I read you know a good a good old fashioned book in yeah. a paper. Is just a, a awesome, yeah. awesome for me. I just, I just love that, and it kind of calms my mind. Um, dark, dark room as well as another one, um, and then there's other little ones too. I'm sure some of you've probably interviewed other guests and stuff, and I've, I've learned this one, but like things like uh, if you know you're snoring, um, a really good method. I think you had Daniel Nestor or sorry, oh. Gene Nestor. Yeah, yeah, to tape. I read his yeah. book. And- I tape my nose yeah. because. Or sorry, I tape my. I my nose. I my <laughs> I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but I tape my mouth. Because yeah, of his his uh, his work. Yeah, And that's really that that's really huge. Funny. That is huge. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bizarre, it's a bar. My my wife looked at me one day and she saw that she just. You're you're a
1: nut, but no, that that is a a path to just better uh, overall quality of life. And, you know, just when we're not breathing properly, uh, and this was very clear, uh, just interviewing James and having read that book and, and read the oxygen advantage by Patrick McEwen. Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, you want to fix that first. Um, and, and once you fix your breathing things right itself, your sleep rights itself, your, uh, just even how you use energy, uh, just everything.
2: Yeah. So, so those are all the things. And then, um, yeah, I think I mean those are the main ones. It doesn't always necessarily solve it. Um, sometimes you still will have a hard time going to sleep or waking up at night, um, and maybe you need a specialist or there's you know nutrition things you want to to manipulate. You spoke about some nutrition timing stuff that's probably important yeah. for that as well. But I would start by always even with training. I start with the you start with the basics and the fundamentals first. Yeah, it's always a very good good strategy to
1: kind of kind of take yeah and and I think that like, people consider this concept of internal fitness, you know that that you got to get the foundation right first uh, and if because it's the foundation I would say this the foundation's not there, you're kind of layering inefficiency on top of inefficiency. you know so yeah. you know in order to kind of maximize these different you know training modalities, uh, you really want to have the sleep, the nutrition um and and the requisite amount of recovery in in play in, in order to to make sure that you're you know, really maximizing the time that you're putting into your, you know, the, the workouts. Um, exactly. You know? Yeah. yeah. And everything everything just continues to link
2: back to, it's, it's really all the same stuff. But it, but fat, oxidizing the fat that's we're ingesting or is stored in our body is the fundamental kind of um, principle here. Being able to have the hormonal... Um, you know milieu or uh, organization that allows that fat to come out of our body that you know insulin isn't sitting super high if insulin's high we're in a anabolic state we can't we can't get fat out because it uh, that hormone is telling all of the um uh you know the the um fuel substrates to be stored in our body yeah. it's not getting shuttled to the cells not not being shuttled out exactly and as soon as we uh um we unlock that, you know, um that pattern and that of um, those and and often it is the often it is the the carbs, the stress, the zone two. Yeah. You, know, you get all of that and in the sleep, um, when all of that kind of goes, then the fat kind of fat comes out and people are just they're blown away. It's like, oh my gosh, I leaned right up and, yeah. and uh feel so much better. I'm sleeping so much better. And, and yeah. And then your, your brain uh, health is so much better. Like you're, you know, you're firing on all, all cylinders, Yeah, you know, like, like we are right now and whatnot. So yeah. you, you want that, um, that, uh, that energy and stuff in life. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, again, I, I wish, yeah, I wish that for everyone
1: listening. Yeah. That's beautifully said. Uh, I, I, you know, and, and I think, I, I think the other thing folks can expect and we get, you know, because we measure heart rate variability, and we tell folks it's an important metric to track. And you know, well, you wanted a upward trend over time. Um, you know, I think I think all the things that you just mentioned are are the things that move around our um, our heart's responsiveness to our autonomic nervous system, which is expressed you know as an HRV. So you know, I think that's you know, is there anything else you know you've touched on it um, you know throughout the podcast? But is there anything else you want to say about heart rate variability and zone two training specifically?
2: And I don't think really, I think that the, you know, we've got the fundamentals here that, you know, the bulk of your training should be in that zone two area. When it is, as we spoke about with Steven Seiler's study, it's, you know, you you really kind of can't get too, too much of this. And um, within reason, uh, relative to the context of the individual, it's where you want to maximize the most time the research, the research supports that you don't um, don't forget to get um, the the regular uh, dosage in you know, smaller amounts of the of the high intensity stuff too. Don't yep. don't neglect that because that's still important. Sounds you. yeah. But um, yeah, like if again, if you get the bulk of your training in that zone two uh, area and below, you will maximize your fat oxidation. Your HRV uh, should uh, main- to be maintained mm-hmm. or elevate. <laughs> and um yeah that's that's healthy that's healthy living and uh
1: and then maybe just uh again in the in the interest of just balance and reminding people that you know uh uh you know zone 2 and zone 5 and and resistance training are also important you know what would you how do you advise uh you know individuals just to build that into their programming each week
2: yeah i well for me i want to have a I'll just speak to myself and this is, uh, yeah, I, I want to have component of all of those things uh, every day um, of the week. So you see my gym behind me. So yeah. I've just prior to the podcast. I got all revved up and I, I you know, I like, I like to lift heavy. Nice. Uh, but of course I'm a, I'm a triathlete too, right? So I like to do swim, bike, run mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and all those sorts of things too. So it's, and, and I will just be, uh, you know, the bulk of the training will be Zone two sort of work. I love an a, a long aerobic stimulus in the sun too. Actually, vitamin D is another really key one too. Yeah, I kind of didn't mention that in the podcast, but you know, if you can get outdoors and get into the get into the sunshine, that vitamin D is a big stimulator of.
1: Your fat oxidation as well. Yeah, um, so I'm glad I'm gladly, I was able to mention that. Yeah, and that's getting your skin your skin exposed to the the sunlight. It's very it's really important. Obviously, do it safely and all that. But
2: yeah, of course, of course. But it, re- it really really is. It's a it's a big one of of your whole. It, it's linked to all of these things. It's it, it's actually not just a vitamin. It's actually a hormone. So it's it's kind of kind of that way. So yeah, get your your vitamin D dose is super important. Um, but yeah, so outdoor zone two stuff uh, in the forest even as well is great if you can if you're you know, if you can get out of the city um, and then uh, but yeah and then a, a good stimulus of of, of hit training in there as well and good. maybe that we can we can do another podcast on on hit one one day as well
1: yeah I would love that yeah I I'd love to talk to you about uh, sprint interval training versus hit and yeah really go really go deep on all the different. Ways that we can get into that zone and how to think about it. So, yes, we'll take you off on that. <laughs> so, Paul, where is the best place for folks to follow all the good work that you're doing in this space? So,
2: I've got a few little businesses called. Uh, so, um, yeah, if you if you, I'm really only on one one social platform, mm-hmm. and that's Twitter. So it's Paul B. Larson at Twitter, and um, I've got a personal website, paullarson.com. And my main two businesses are Athletic at AI, um and uh
1: and hit dot com. Amazing. So, well, you can check check those out there. Perfect. Uh, I need to get on Twitter. I i kind of you know, I, I haven't gone that path yet. But <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. I scared of
2: Twitter. Well, I try to I try to stay off most, most of the socials because it yeah, they just uh, just I uh, can keep keep focused on the business uh, sort of side of things. Yeah. But I know, I know they're important.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you've been so insightful. And yeah, I know our members are going to really, really, really value the the conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no problem.
0: Big thank you to Paul Larson for coming on the show today. Talk zone two cardio and training and everything heart rate zones. If you enjoyed this episode of the Whoop podcast, please leave a rating or review. Check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. Have a question you want to see answered on the podcast, email us, podcast at whoop.com. Call us, 508-443-4952. Don't forget, you can sign up for Whoop with literally a free trial, 30 days to decide whether you want to use Whoop. You get a free Whoop in the mail. And that's a wrap. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Whoop podcast. As always, stay healthy and stay in the green.